Hello and welcome to History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel and thanks for listening as always. Today we're, we're going to talk about one of the most delicate and vulnerable periods in the life cycle of an organization. And by that, I mean, we're going to learn more about succession planning and leadership transitions. I'm going to talk to our friend Betsy Hogue, who is Director of Research and Planning at Green Target, who recently partnered with History Factory on a new study called The Succession Trap, How the C-Suite Thinks About Leadership Transitions and Why It's Wrong. Now, a study was cited in an article in the May-June issue of Harvard Business Review, And the article was called The High Cost of Poor Succession Planning. And in the article, the authors estimate that, quote, the amount of market value wiped out by badly managed CEO and C-suite transitions in the S&P 1500 is close to $1 trillion a year, end quote. It's, a, it's an interesting article, and the research that the authors uh, of the article share was very much in sync with our research, which you're about to hear more about from Betsy. But before we get into that, you may be asking yourself, why did you folks over at History Factory conduct a study like this? After all, we're not McKinsey or Deloitte or Corn Ferry, so why are we conducting studies on succession planning and leadership transitions? The reason for that is because as business historians, we've learned over more than 40 years now how important leadership transitions are for organizations. And as the study in HBR and our own study quantifies, given what's at stake, businesses really aren't as prepared and adept as they should be. One of the reasons why we're keenly interested in this is because of the fact that the S&P 500 is so much younger. Uh, Consider this, the median age of an S&P 500 company has gone from 85 years old in 2000 to just 33 years old in 2018, according to McKinsey. Why is that? Well, it's kind of obvious, right? The dominance of the tech industry and these younger companies that have been the drivers of IR4 have created an index of companies that are just skewing a lot younger. And that youth is going to be an interesting thing to track, particularly as companies like Apple and now Amazon and eventually Facebook and Salesforce and others begin to navigate in a post-founder era and demonstrate their sustainability. So that's why we're interested in this phenomenon of succession planning and leadership transitions, because we're beginning to experience a trend of a lot of companies with a lot at stake embarking on a new chapter in their history where they have little to no experience. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Betsy Hoke. Betsy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. A pleasure, always. So Betsy, let's start with um, perhaps you can do a better job than than I can of explaining why History Factory was interested in conducting this research. Um, Sure. Well, you know, the official title of the of the report here is the succession trap. Um, But that said, succession wasn't the only topic that we wanted to look at for the purposes of this study. Our objectives in doing this research were firstly to understand the perceptions of leadership transitions and succession planning uh, by C-suite execs and also, um, you know, in that C-suite 
group, I should say, we're not looking just at CEOs, but we also included CMOs, CHROs, COOs, CFOs, and CCOs. So really diverse perspectives toward leadership transitions and succession planning. We also wanted to understand the role of organizational heritage, what it plays during leadership transitions. We felt like this could be an area where we had this um, potential tension or conflict emerging between the organizational heritage and maybe what the individual thought he or she was leaving behind, what their mark was. Um, And we wanted to look at this really carefully. We also wanted to explore sentiment toward legacy and legacy management, um, as well as heritage, history, experience, and institutional memory. We wanted to kind of call out each one of these things, again, from the perspectives of these really diverse individuals. And then finally, we wanted to measure the importance of company history in specific situations as history factory is wont to do. So we had many different prongs that we were trying to um, prioritize with this research. And I think the story, how they all came together is is what makes it so fascinating. And in addition to um, the kinds of individuals who included in the study, Betsy, um, can you quickly just characterize uh, what kinds of organizations uh, those individuals represented? Yeah, so something really interesting here is we knew we wanted to take a close look at technology specifically because our hypothesis was that we were going to see some different stories emerging here. These companies tend to be younger. A lot of them are still in startup mentality. So we wanted to have a big enough sample from technology that we could pull out those results separately. So from technology, we had you know, 22%, almost a quarter of our respondents coming from there. Um, But beyond that, it was a real cornucopia from aerospace and defense and agribusiness to automotive, consumer products, energy, consulting. I mean, you name it, we had them in there. Um, The the years that these individuals had had in their current positions uh, had also, they were also across the board. Um, We tried to get those who'd been there for, you know, longer than 10 years, but also six to 10, two to five, less than two years. So the as such, the types of companies are also going to differ, right? Because some of those longer term um, C-suites are coming from very established companies. The companies included in this had been founded, some of them 50 or more years ago, but we also had some, some young ones in there too. We had quite a few that were in the um, you know, 15 year age range and 20 to 29, 30 to 39 was kind of where most of them fell, where the median fell. In terms of company size, we were in the large and, and mid-size range of companies where we had, you know, the, the vast majority of companies um, falling in the 10,000 or more employee um, range and and 11% over 500,000 employees um, worldwide. Um, In terms of revenues, we had a quarter of the companies falling in the 500 million to um, 1 billion range at the low end. And then at the higher end, we had many companies that were in the 50 billion to 100 billion range. So really a, a pretty good cross cut of companies here. We wanted to look at what many of the established and, and higher performing companies um, were doing for the purposes of really getting a full snapshot of what organizations with 
um, a range of C-suite players go through in these sessions. Got it. So, so let's begin with how would you characterize how the respondents responded just in terms of what sort of emphasis or importance did they place on leadership transitions? So leadership transitions are very much top of mind. And, you know, let's, let's remember that in our survey, we had a really high number of C-suites who had been through a leadership transition in their current company, or at the very least, they'd been through one basically to qualify for the survey. They had to have been through one in the course of their career. And so having that experience obviously left an impact on them. And 63% said it's very important to document the history and experience of the company and current leadership for the next leader. And it's very important to note that, you know, because these people had had firsthand experience with such transitions, um, they also realized what could go awry if, if those pieces are not in place. And correct me if I'm wrong, Betsy, but there was also um, responses that suggested that they believe that leadership transitions are, are more important than ever. Um, and I'm curious why that might be. Yeah, so there were a couple of reasons. And first of all, there was high agreement that succession planning is more important than ever because we're in this period of time where the business landscape is really dynamic. It's evolving every day. Um, and in the digital age, planning becomes highly essential. So we saw nearly two-thirds strongly agreeing that that was the case. And then an additional 26% are, are agreeing with that statement. So really, you know, very high numbers, nearly unanimous there um, on, on the fact that in the digital age, you need to have this, this moving, you need to have this in place. But the other, the other factor we looked at here was um, the degree to which they thought that companies are going to um, refresh their leadership. You know, leadership is under fire um, because this landscape is evolving at the pace that it is. So again, we had really strong agreement about the fact that you need to have succession planning in place because there could be this revolving door of leadership. And, and that's one of the ways that you plan for it. That's one of the ways that you make sure all your ducks are in a row. Yeah, and, and I would imagine, or I would have assumed that given the size of the organizations that we included in, in the survey, um, given the uh, the emphasis and the priority they, they put on succession planning, that many of these firms, you know, with their governance have pretty clearly articulated um, succession plans in place. Um, was that the case? No, actually, that's not the case. And for us, that's something that just rose to the top. We appreciated how honest the survey respondents were in this too. They you know, they weren't, they weren't mincing um, words on this at all. They acknowledge that they, they don't have this type of um, documentation, really. There were 43% who said, yes, we're doing this. We have our succession plan documented, but another 57% didn't. Um, that breaks down into 46% who said, Yes, it's in process. And, you know, if it's in process, then it might as well have never been started because it's not done um, when you actually need it tomorrow. And then we had an additional group that said, no, not only are we not doing it, but we're also not even planning this right now. Um, so that was really interesting to us. And some of the reasons that they were able to share with us about 
why they don't have their succession plans documented um, were also really interesting. You know, they said, we have succession planning at the director and VP levels, perhaps, and some C-level positions, but not at the CEO and COO positions, where one might argue it's most critical to have those plans documented. They also said things like it's on a case-by-case basis, and we'll, we'll decide once the founder decides he wants out. And again, you know, if that is something that happens tomorrow, there's no plan in place, and suddenly you're just left trying to figure it out on an ad hoc basis. Interesting. And did the, did the survey reveal specific challenges that executives associate with leadership transitions? Yeah, they did. You know, they said challenge, basically their challenges all over the place, right? And, and some of them, I think we, we looked at earlier where we got that high agreement around the fact that in this digital age, things are evolving really quickly. And um, beyond that, though, you know, one of the things that was really important to look at was that you have these longer tenures that can complicate transitions. So we have this this situation where the median um, time spent in a CEO position may be five years, but then you have 20% who are at 10 years or longer. So the longer the CEO is in that position, often the harder it becomes to replace that person. Um, the really interesting thing here, we had, you know, 52% strongly agreeing that, that longer tenure complicates transition and then another, you know, 33% agreeing. So really, again, we're seeing vast majority agreeing that this is, this is an issue, but CEOs were indexing higher, of course, on the strongly agree CEOs were basically saying it's, it's really hard when my predecessor or when I stay in this position to then complete a successful transition. So that was something that was interesting to us. The other thing, Jason, that well, if we want to drill down a little bit, the other thing that we've got working here is that when this the new CEO steps into um, a situation, he or she is often trying to escape the shadow of a predecessor. Um, the CEOs as a group were, were telling us that it's really difficult here to, to get out from under that shadow. There's this legend or lore of my predecessor that I'm basically trying to get past. Um, and, and the other C-suites felt less encumbered perhaps by this, but still we didn't have a single group between the CEO respondents, the other C-suites, or as we call out later, we'll, we'll get into some of the tech respondents. Um, none of them felt like they truly had this fresh start that would, they could embark on. Interesting. And what about uh, in terms of success? I mean, how did how did respondents either define success for a leadership transition or define what some of the key ingredients might be for for implementing a a successful transition and setting up that next leader or those that next generation of leaders setting them up for success. Well, we, we asked two questions here. First, we asked them about vital components of a succession plan. And let's remember here that we have only 43% that are really embroiled in this right now. If, you know, they are in fact telling us the truth and, and we do think they are. Um, that group is probably giving us the best sort of um, takeaway here on, on what the vital components are. But we also asked everyone, you know, what are the contributing factors to a successful succession? So I think it's important to look at those two in tandem. 
In terms of the vital components, things they were telling us, you need to have clear and defined requirements and qualifications. You need to have defined roles. So clarity was something that they were really stressing. You need to have this list of C-suite replacements in case of emergencies. So then for it to be successful, you see this sort of, you know, matchup going on where you see clear planning process and communications internally is going to be key. So again, if you have all of those requirements on paper, if everyone is clear on their roles, it makes sense then that 62% said this is going to be one of the su successful factors. The planning process itself, um, fewer you know, were, were concerned about that being a, a tremendous success factor. Um, but here's where we, we get into something that's not a success. We'll talk about a little bit later. Something really interesting is that they told us that the planning process and communications externally, only one third was saying this is a contributing factor to a successful su succession. So I think you see this prioritization of all of those internal steps that need to be taken and they get it and they understand those have to be documented. But I think that question then gave us a little bit of a segue into what some of, some of the challenges might become um, in terms of that external commentary. Yeah, and it's interesting you share that, Betsy, because in our initial uh, sort of feedback from from sharing uh, the, the the research and, and the report with our clients, that's been one of the themes that has come up is that um, emphasis on on the communications piece, uh, both from an internal perspective, to your point, and also the external perspective, and you know how important that is um, to build uh, trust uh, and to um, help the incoming leader really sort of uh, con control the narrative, if you will, um, of what his or her um, vision uh, is. Um, so that's really interesting that you point that out. Mm -hmm. um, now you mentioned before that um, we included in the study a, a pretty large uh, segment of, of, of companies in tech. Uh, the reason being that we were keenly interested if there might be a discrepancy on how they were responding uh, to the survey um, based on a number of factors, one of them being simply that by and large in general, uh, the tech industry companies skew younger uh, than uh, others. Um, and so I'm just curious if that, um, if that bore out, you know, did we see an, a noticeable trend line of how tech companies were responding uh, that was perhaps uh, different um, in terms of the sort of trend or, or median that we saw um, from other industries? Yeah, they definitely did trend uh, differently, uh, according to a couple of questions. It was actually just as interesting where they did versus where they didn't. So, you know, let's let's take one of these questions. For example, we asked if the tech industry um, faces more skepticism than other multinational companies and other sectors during times of transition. We asked that question to everyone, and to to me, really interestingly. Um, 62%, so nearly two-thirds of all respondents were saying, yes, they do. They face higher levels of skepticism. And then 71% of those hailing from the tech industry said, yes, this is the case. Um, to me, that could have been a real woe is me question where you might have seen percentages in the 90s from, from the tech sector versus the others. It was interesting that, that every respondent basically, or all respondent groups, I should say, were on the same page with this is, this is you know, true, more or less, for tech, this happens. 
Um, and we were chalking this up to the fact that we've got this really dynamic industry. And like we said, Jason, a lot of young companies. But then there were a couple other findings where they were dramatically different. Um, 84% of the tech industry was strongly agreeing that succession planning is more important than ever because of the quickly evolving business landscape. We recapped that survey um, at the top of the podcast, and this was 21 percentage points higher than the full survey pool. So 84% of tech, and then you've got 63% from the rest of the survey pool. So that was, that was interesting. We also found that um, successful leadership planning is defined differently, just a bit differently by the tech sector. Hmm. 18% of tech respondents were saying that paving the way to prior to the transition was in their definition um, compared with 43% overall. So when I say just a bit, that one was, you know, definitely decidedly different, but Along the other lines where we, we, where we were asking them about what are some other factors here, we were seeing alignment more or less. So paving the way, it's interesting that that's the one where we saw the disparity of all the factors, and it possibly goes along the lines of, you know, to what degree are they really worried about that very, very smooth baton handoff? Um, but something interesting along those lines is that when we asked them about best case transitions that had taken place, Apple was one of the examples that we gave respondents. And we said, you know, when Apple made their transition, what about it, you know, how did it compare, I should say, to some of the other transitions that have gone on lately? We gave them a a couple. Um, And they said that for them, that one resonated more than the other examples. That one was like best case scenario for them. Um, 50% were aligned with that transition versus the others. And, and, you know, it's interesting because again, it's running counter to what they had noted earlier in the survey, perhaps about that smooth baton pass, whether that mattered to such a, to such an intricate degree. Um, And it's also interesting because it's running counter to the pressure on tech companies that they had stated earlier. Finally, we found that 67% of our tech respondents compared with 52% of the overall survey base believed that a longer tenure for an outgoing leader complicates a transition for a successor. And what was interesting to us there is that so often you have these founders of the tech companies really personifying the entire brand of the company. Um, because they're yeah. younger, this is often the case. Whereas our companies that had been in business for 50 plus years, they had made that sort of transition a long time ago. And we thought, you know, that was a possible explanation for why that disparity um, came to be. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And, and shifting to that a little bit, Betsy, with respect to the role of, of organizational heritage and, and institutional memory and, and legacy management, as we framed it. Um, how did executives respond to what the role of history is in the context of change and succession? Well, history is very much part of that change. We didn't have to spoon feed that to them in any way. Um, you know, we asked them a couple of questions around this topic. And One that really stood out to us was we asked about the importance of company heritage or history in 
such things as providing a playbook or roadmap for new execs. So really giving them the pieces that they needed for their journey ahead. Um, And nearly 50% of them said, this is very important. 49% said, this is very important. And then we had an additional, you know, 36% saying it was important. So we've got 80 plus percent of our respondents saying, yeah, the history is something that is very much going to formulate your roadmap for the years ahead. We also found that they greatly valued history in reassuring customers or external stakeholders during a transition. Um, it was something that they could lean on. They could say, you know, our organization is very much about this and this new CEO is on board. He or she gets it. Um, also in terms of onboarding and reassuring the organization internally. These were things, again, where the survey respondents felt that history was going to be something very important, something that they could lean on. Um, They gave us some some color here on why these things mattered. And they said things like, it's the most important part of any business plan, and that extends to succession. They also said it includes the roadmap to failures as well as successes, which is something really important to note that Ideally, if you're doing it right, you have noted as many challenges that the company had along the way, or at least some of the challenges that that they've had in addition to the successes. So now you've got this recipe for what works and what doesn't work. And a really powerful quote here for us was that history is the mother of innovation for any type of company. So history was held in very high regard in terms of these transitions. Yeah, and I think... uh... One of the themes also came about, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that there was an acknowledgement on the part of many of the respondents, particularly those who were CEOs and founders, that they were essentially already planning what their sort of legacy was going to be, that they were proactively taking those steps. Um, yes. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So they... Personal legacy is something very important, um, and and we were we were maybe a bit surprised to find out how engaged they were in the pursuit of that legacy. Um, we found that nearly two thirds had said that I've had a discussion with my own network, peers, mentors, you know, other leaders. This is something that I've already done, and then an additional third were considering it. Um, it wasn't unimportant really for any of them, and then nearly the same amount had engaged in formal legacy planning. Um, And then, you know, still, again, more than, well, more than half had had a discussion regarding some sort of legacy initiative. Um, They'd had discussions with other senior execs, and they'd had discussions with boards. Across the board, everything we asked them, have you done this? They had engaged in that. And that was really interesting to us. We actually, in asking that question, I think, Jason, it's fair to say that we thought we'd have lower response numbers there. Um, and, and knowing that this was a very candid group based on their responses to other some of the other questions, this was really encouraging to us. Yeah. Did we find that their approach to the history, though, was forward-looking? I mean, in the context of then sort of the institutional memory side of the equation, they were focused on their own legacy. Uh, but were they also focused on providing resources to make sure that the next generations that 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 follow them 
um, have access to organizational memory and are really sort of armed with the resources um, to lead the organization moving forward? Did we find that they were as focused on the future in terms of their use of, of, of history or was it really more oriented around the past and, and their own, to some degrees, legacies and egos? Right. It was it was more definitely more focused on the past. You know, we had this thing about um, we found that 63 percent were saying it's very important to document the history and experience of the company and current leadership for the next leader. So, yes, that's good. But then when we asked them questions about what they have done, how they have, you know, various processes in place, it wasn't that they were, um, you know, looking toward adding to the company archives, for example, or hosting certain transition focused events, things like this. So it was, a, it was harder for them to look ahead to figure out what needed to be in place for the future um, versus what they had already, to your point, what they had already done for themselves personally, their own legacy. And of course, there's this personal stake that's involved there. Now, something really interesting was that their organizational support was very high. Um, 66% told us that their organization strongly supports the pursuit of a defined legacy. So we know that there are um, support systems in place for them to go ahead on that road. Um, but to your point, it seemed like it had been more of a, of a personal focus based on what they were telling us. Huh, interesting. Uh, you've mentioned some of the things that were a bit of a surprise to us. Anything that we didn't cover that 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 surprised you? Yeah. So, for me at least, and I think you know this partially comes from working in the PR industry and communications and such. It was really fascinating to me that companies don't have the same level of confidence with transition communications as they do some other communication initiatives. It's, it's tricky because they're not doing this sort of communication. They're not talking about um, a CEO transition on a daily basis. So we'll give them that, right? But it is something really monumental for a company. And you would think that they would employ every tool in the arsenal in order to get it right. We asked them a question about um, their company's approach to, to leadership transitions. And when, when they were talking about, you know, managing the transitions internally, I think as I, as I you know, highlighted earlier, they're really happy with how they're doing it. They believe this is a big part of a successful transition. And we strongly agree that our company is adept at handling these. And, and you know, a fair amount, we're also agreeing that they can um, communicate them externally, but not nearly the amount that should have. You know, we we really dipped on those who strongly agree. And to go back to my point about if you're sort of planning, you're not really planning. If you can't strongly agree that you are communicating transitions well externally, then how well are you really doing it? You've got one shot. And to that point, I think something that really supports that is that they told us that their companies were were definitely um, not doing leadership transi transitions as well as some of their other communications initiatives. So again, really candid feedback. Um, they told us that for sure, and and you know it's black and white really. So that to me was something that was very surprising. I didn't expect to see that. Mm. Cool. Well, really, really interesting stuff, Betsy. And uh, thank you so much for uh, 
for, for leading the effort on, on this research. Um, but before I let you go, uh, I'll just ask, how, so how would you kind of boil this down to, how would you sum up sort of the, the top three to five takeaways uh, from what we learned of the process? Well, I mean, one of the one of the top takeaways, Jason, absolutely is this fact that only 43% have that documented plan in place. But at the same time, they're acknowledging that a lack of preparation has been the chief reason behind um, transition failures. So to know that you need to have this preparation, but you don't, um, that was that's a key say. And there were all sorts of reasons. And we went over them earlier, you know, how quickly we're moving in the digital age and how difficult it is when you have C-suites in in tenure for an unknown period of time. But still, those are really just excuses at the end of the day when you know how important the planning is. Um, The second thing is that the, the communications, I highlighted it already, but this was something that was a key takeaway by and large. Um, And, you know, Formal succession plans and external communications are contributing to successful transitions. So get both right. And again, you know, great feedback there from the survey respondents. The other thing, and we didn't go into this as closely, but, you know, legacy management um, being something that is so important to C-suites. And as we said, you know, a high number um, that we surveyed are saying their organization strongly supports it. I think if we're if we're taking that to the next level, and there's all sorts of commentary throughout this report, the the personal legacy, yes, is something very important and something that they're pursuing, their organization support. But equally as important here is that institutional memory idea. Um, and Jason, in the report, there's a great synopsis of Apple's success and also Hewlett Packard's struggle in terms of preserving and transferring institutional memory. I think it's one of the most interesting takeaways in the report, and I think it really um, juxtaposes that that legacy management, personal legacy point earlier. It's really when we're talking about organization wide, then we're talking about institutional memory and transfer of that knowledge. Um, and and again, I mean, I think that's something that until we we conducted this research, we didn't really know how those two. We didn't have the data points to connect those two together. And this report tells a really fascinating story about those two points. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Betsy, thank you again. Great to talk to you as always. Good to talk to you as well. Thanks again. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, right. Betsy. Thanks. Bye. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the research Betsy and I were discussing, you can download the report at historyfactory.com. You'll see a link at the top of the homepage, or you can go directly to historyfactory.com slash the hyphen succession hyphen trap. So that's our episode. Thanks again to Betsy Hogue. We'll be back soon with a new episode of History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel. Thanks for listening.